Well, good morning, Soundhouse. How you guys doing? Come on in. Get settled in. Um, I'm going to go ahead and get started on uh, some of the announcements. Well, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Skylar Woods. I am the uh, uh, youth director here at Soundhouse. And we're so glad you could be here. There's so many people this morning. Um, there's a lot of seating on these cones right up here if you want to be in the sunlight, if you're a little cold. But the weather's feeling good. Hope you guys had a good week. So first things first, if you guys want to follow along with what Ryan is going to be talking about this morning, you guys can check out the service notes on the, uh, the Soundhouse app. And that'll be right as you open up the app. It should be the first thing. Taylor's really good about making it the featured um, announcement every morning on Sundays. So you just click on that, and everything that Ryan will be discussing will be in there. Um, the second thing for announcements is uh, joining a community group. We started a couple weeks ago. Um, we're in week three, but this is going till week 11. So there's a lot of time and there's a lot of space to get into Ephesians. There's a lot to get out of the scripture. Um, what's nice is that each one of them step into what Ryan will be discussing on Sunday, as opposed to being more reflective of like, yeah, I remember when Ryan and Chad were talking about that. It's going to be more of like preparing for the Sunday that'll be coming up. So it's really great in that way. Um, and then if you're interested um, in joining any Compassions ministry that we have here, we have a few that are going on right now. One, we have food, finder, uh, food finders. If you guys are interested, there's about four spots that they're allowing um, weekly for us to come in and join um, and help with food and distribution of food um, in the Long Beach area. The other thing is uh, New Life Beginnings. That is run by a family here, by the Armandiers family. It's a shelter for women and children um, that need a place to be. And they're doing small projects right now. Like um, they just need a few people to come in and paint the bathroom. Or if you have any of those kind of like more hard skills, if you think that that's an area that, you know, you can get, get a little dirty, put your hands into it and um, just kind of give back, that is one way you can do that. And then um, one of the big ones is uh, Rancho La Hermosa, which is an orphanage in Mexico. Um, we're partnering with them in many different ways, but just a couple weeks ago, not the last week, Ryan, Chad, I believe, two weeks, two times now we've been able to go and visit. And we're just building the kids... Um, some sweet stuff, all kinds of stuff. The girls are getting this really awesome playhouse. Uh, Jarrett, Chad, and a couple other of the guys were able to go down there and just paint it for the second round. But um, we got to find something for the boys. So if you guys have ideas, if you guys want to get a part of that, um, reach out and join that ministry if that's something you're interested in. And then I think we're all set. So I'm going to go ahead and lead us into um, some worship time. Obviously, we're not singing outside. That's something that with our permit we're restricted in. But that does not limit to what our definition or what we naturally normally experience as worship is daily um, for us. Um, if you guys wanted to, you could look up on YouTube the best worship in the world. You can look up some of the best artists anywhere. But there's something about being next to one another and worshiping with people beside you that just makes it so much more impactful in a different sense, because you can listen to those lyrics, you can listen to those bands, but being with people in corporate worship is a big one. So if you want, you can open up. Um, I'm going to be reading through Psalms 139 um, uh, in the NLT version. You can also up the open up the service notes, and at the top will also be that scripture if you want to get to it quickly, if you have the app. Um, but this is really just to prepare our hearts. Um, this is a uh, worship text from David. Um, so as we lead into this, this is just to prepare our hearts and our minds 
for what is happening, sometimes it's just a quick transition into what Ryan's gonna talk about. Kind of feels like we haven't settled yet. Or there's a lot of distractions in the park here today. All, every week, I don't know if you guys saw the squirrels last week, I couldn't focus, but, <laughs> um, but this is something to kind of prepare that focus, kind of turn our mind to what we're really here for this morning. So I'm gonna go ahead, I'm gonna start reading. You can bow your heads or read along. Psalms 139. O Lord, you have examined my heart, and you know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts, even when I am even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I am doing. You know what I'm going to say, even before I say it, Lord. You go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. I can even escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me be, to become night, but even in the darkness I cannot hide from you. To you the night shines as bright as day. Darkness and light are the same to you. You made all um, the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter selection, as I was woven together in the darkness of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O oh God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you are still with me. Search me, O oh God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything to me, point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Something that stands out when I'm reading through this is that if you look at the lines, a lot of them are first pointing at God saying you, you, you for the first half. And a lot of it says in I language saying myself. And that's, and it's a really important pairing to understand. It's like, yes, we are praising God, you Lord, for what you have done, but worship is also for me. And I understand and I humble myself and I know what I'm stepping into that give and take. Let me pray. Dearly Father, Lord, thank you for this time. Um, Lord, as Ryan comes up to speak, I pray that you prepare our hearts, our minds for you. Um, to the distractions in the park, Lord, may you make those things disappear um, for the betterment of you and your glory. We pray this in your name. Amen. Good morning. How are you? Uh, take just one second. I just want to like, remind everybody, too, 
Um, once you're seated, you feel free if you feel comfortable. Uh, you can remove your mask if you want. Uh, if you don't, leave it on. Uh, but just uh, letting you know that we are able to do that, um, thankfully, and that way you can breathe a little bit more, or if you don't and you want to feel comfortable, uh, feel free to leave it on. Also, take a second, if you wouldn't mind, wave to those around you, say hi to our church, and uh, if you just take a quick second. Okay. All right. Well, guys, I want to welcome you to service today. It's a beautiful day. I don't see any squirrels, so it's great. If you weren't here last week, uh, we were being attacked. And uh, uh, yeah, like Scholar said, you know, we I've, I've gotten so used to being here in the park. Uh, thankfully, I did youth ministry for a long time. So, I mean, I spoke while kids were fighting in the in the, in the crowd or playing rock, paper, scissors. It didn't matter. So this is just bringing me back to home of where I started. So um, we're in this uh, series of Ephesians. And uh, man, we're week three. We're just getting into it. And I just want to let you know, if you do not have uh, your Bible with you, it, it is going to be really helpful for you just to pull out your Bible app phone. Uh, you can pull out the, the notes from the app. And I'm just going to, I'm not going to lie. Uh, I put a lot of time into these notes, and they're very detailed, and so that way you can just look through them. If you don't want to have to take notes or you are not able to do it right now, the, all of my notes, almost everything I'm going to say uh, is going to be in those notes, and so um, that way you can just have them if you want to go back over them if, if you, uh, you know, heard things that really st st stuck out to you. So let's pray with the mindset uh, of this verses 1 through uh, 10 in chapter 2. God, we thank you so much. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Ephesians and um, the emphasis on these 10 passages. God, as we read them, we, we can read through things so quickly, but the theological impact, the depth of what you are saying through your Apostle Paul about a new life, about a new way, and a remembrance of what we had in front of us that you saved us from, God. What was where we were going and where you have redirected our life, God. We're so grateful for that, God. All of us have a testimony that we can share about that. And God, I thank you that as we celebrate today in your word, that um, God, just maybe not one of us will leave today thinking how we did when we came into service today, God, that something will grab our hearts, something will stand out, and something will inspire us. And so we leave that up to you, God, your spirit moving on our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so if you have your Bibles, you can open up to chapter two. This is our week three of this study. And I'll just, I'll just lay it out to you right here. Paul is, is essentially laying the groundwork for Christian living and Christian lifestyle. And so Ephesians is really going to get heavily into that. But ultimately, these 10 passages are starting to lay the groundwork for Christian living. And Paul is going to paint a contrast for us that we cannot forget, that we were a part of, and we cannot forget what's ahead of us. There's two messages in these 10 verses. 
The first message is going to be one through three verse. The next is going to be four through ten. And what Paul does is he breaks this up in this very, very simplistic way. He says, wow, like things were bad for you. And then verse four through ten, he talks about but God. And that theme, but God, is going to be all throughout Ephesians, essentially, really throughout Scripture. But this but God is a transitional moment where Paul begins to shift and say, listen, but this is what we have ahead of us because of God. Things were not going well, but God. And I know you have a lot of stories of those but God stories in your life. And so we can very much relate to this. There are many, many of us in there, I've heard your stories where you were in a place and then, but God did something, showed up in some way, showed you something. And that's exactly what Paul talks about in these scriptures. And so let's go into this very first part, one through three. I'll read the whole passage and then we're going to kind of break down the passage because there's a lot in these passages. But uh, the first section, just remember, Paul's stating, things looked bad for you. And we need that reminder. We need the contrast. And these people in in these early churches needed the contrast because things looked bad for them. And in verse 1 through 3, Paul reminds them of their sin, their death spiritually, and then ultimately the bondage that they were under um, in a way, in a system. But if you think about this, remember Paul's calling them, remember your past life, if you will. Remember what you were before Christ. Remember your thoughts and your feelings and what you were going through. And maybe even just a sense of this life and, and, and its purpose. Remember that for a second before we read this. Remember what it was like. Remember who you were it, this is, I think, kind of in a way like, it's like a Christmas carol type of passage. It's the ghost of Christmas past, if you will, bringing you back and showing you where things were wrong, where things went wrong. I mean, it's that type of passage here where Paul is just going to go right to it with, uh, with the people in the church of Ephesus and the surrounding churches. So let's read, ver- let's read verses one through three. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit is now at work in the sons, that spirit is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom uh, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and and the mind. And you were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. And what Paul is saying here right away, just to the, just to the hearers and to us today, is don't forget. Don't forget where you came from. Don't forget the direction you were going. Don't forget the hope you had ahead of you, which was bleak. Don't forget that. You're going to be tempted to pick up the old life and say, Remember the old days? You're going to forget. You're going to be tempted to do that. You're going to be, if you're complacent, you're going to be tempted to just, you're comfortable, you're complacent, and to not really remember where you came from. You're going to get comfortable. You're going to sentimentalize it. 
And so we have to remember this. Paul is saying, don't forget where you came from. And by the way, Paul is telling them, because he's using this past tense type of transition, is that you can't have that life back anyways if you tried. It's reassuring. And it also, for some, maybe why it's so frustrating to try to pick that life back up because you, you can't have that life back. You were dead. You were in a path that was course corrected by Christ if you're a believer. And so as much as you may romance the past or be comfortable or be tempted, you, you actually can't have that reality back. It's changed for you. And Paul is stating this as you gave it up. So let's go, let's go back into verse 1. Let's walk through this a little bit. If you have it, we're going to read just small snippets. I'll talk about it just for a second. When he says you were dead, he means you were dead spiritually. He's meaning that you were essentially, I guess, on this earth, you could look at it like a zombie. You, you were in a way, maybe which you didn't even choose, but you were in a way, in a system, in a culture. But the thing about it is, is when you're dead, and this is why it's so important spiritually to realize what you've gained. When you are dead, you cannot commune with the living. And we know this physically. When we pass on, we are not communing with the living. And I know there's a ton of like ghost hunter TV shows and a lot of these psychic shows out there. But at the end of the day, we're all just watching going, yeah, right. I mean, it doesn't happen. And as much as we would want it to happen, it doesn't happen. And so in the same way, the spiritually dead cannot commune with the living God. And so something had to change. The dead had to become alive to commune with the living God. So spiritually dead cannot communicate with God and commune with God. And so they had to be made alive. And so that's essentially what Paul is saying. You were dead, but you've been made alive. Uh, the part B of that passage in verse 1 is it, what he's talking about. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. And I think sometimes when we see this and, and we want to wonder, what, what is a trespass? And we kind of get it in a general sense of our culture, but what is a trespass? And essentially he's saying these are actions that were conscious in some unconscious actions, but of wrongdoing against what God's order is. And so you were dead in those ways. And so he goes right into it. Don't forget where you were, right? Paul essentially is saying in that verse, first verse is you had a condition. And it wasn't looking good for you. You were in a way and it wasn't good. I think we all need those reminders. I think we can all take our life into our own hands more than we should instead of putting it in God's hands. I think we can all, in, in some ways, loosen things up instead of like becoming more focused into what God's calling us to. I think we can all do that. And Paul's saying, no, 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 no. Remember, there was a condition you were in. You can't ever have that life back again. You gave it up when you took on Christ. Paul says there was a death that happened and it was your your death, in a way, to be resurrected. 
And so, but Paul, when he talks about this condition and what he'll do for the rest of these two verses, he's going to talk about, he breaks it down, this condition that we were all in. He breaks it down in three ways. And here's what he's talking about and why he's reminding them. And he's going to lay this contrast out. And he says this, and he'll start in verse two. But essentially what he's saying is, you, one, part of the condition that was going on with you is you were walking in temporal ways. That's part of the condition we were in. It, and when the Bible ever uses the word walk, it, it means it in a way of like our day in, our day out, the way we were living, the way we thought, what we did, how we got around, just everyday life. You were walking in temporal ways. In verse 2, it says, in which you walked, once walked, following the course of this world. Course, a better word, I'm reading ESV, a better word for a course is really the age of this world. Some people can read it and say, oh, that was for that time, but that's not what that means. For this age ultimately means this fallen age, right? And of this fallen course of this world, this age of this world, that you were once walking in the ways of its ethics and its morality, and we can look all around us. I mean, you can watch the news for like 10 minutes and realize the ethic and morality of this world, and it's not great. It's not great. And there's story after story after story of this, the tragedy of a fallen world. And Paul is saying, you were once just walking in the ways of this temporal world. In, in contrast, when the Bible uses walk, we, we read in Scripture where it says, but now you walk this way, but you're now walking in the ways of God, meaning your day in, your day out, your life is walking in the ways of God. And so, you know, I, uh, uh, one night I, I snore. Does anybody snore? Don't raise your hand. It's terrible. I had to get a mouthpiece. It's awful. I'm trying to get used to it. Poor Anna. One day I was like, I'm snoring and it, it might be just the nose. I don't know what it is. But I went and slept in uh, my daughter's room when she was gone. She has a hamster. And this hamster on this wheel, I forgot that they're nocturnal. And it, it all night long, and I, I kept getting up and looking out the window, thinking something was like outside. I started getting really concerned. And I, all night, I just kept waking up. And finally, I realized in the corner was this hamster on this wheel. And he just kept going and going and going and going and going nonstop. And I think that when we look at an, an animal move like that, we think, wow, you, you know, you're really going nowhere, you know, but they just keep going. And Paul is essentially saying this, is that you were once on a hamster wheel that was going nowhere, and you cannot forget that. Who wants to live that life again? Who wants to be there again? One of my favorite movies growing up as a kid, it was a Tom Hanks movie before Tom Hanks was like, you know, an Oscar winner. And he made this movie uh, called Joe versus the Volcano. I don't recommend it, okay? But I just, for me, I always loved it. But there's this, I won't even get into the details of it because it, it might ruin Tom Hanks to you. But Tom Hanks like starts out as this person who's just, everything's gray, everything's dark. This is how the movie starts. And he is just, just walking in with his suit on and his pale white skin and his depressed look and he's going into this factory and he's going out and he's coming in and going out. It's, a, it's Groundhog's Day every day. It's awful. And the whole shift in the movie is when Tom Hanks 
was given a diagnosis that he was going to die, and then he was given an opportunity to sacrifice himself in a volcano to save an island. And his mentality, his demeanor, everything changed the moment he left the surrounding, if you remember the movie. And he's a different person. He's happy. He's willing to go jump into this volcano. Now, listen, this is no Oscar winner, but it is a shift that happens. And I feel like Paul is saying, do you remember the days? You no longer are a part of those days. You no longer are in that way. Life is bright. There's more meaning. It, it, there's a greater life out there. And it changes who we are. So, right, he says, you once walked of this course of the world, but we no longer. The second part of this condition he's laying out, of which we should all remember what we were a part of, is that we were once walking with the enemy. <laughs> I, I mean, some of you have had frenemies, but no one's ever been hanging out with an enemy. And he's trying to remind them, you have to remember, there's this enemy, if you will. There is this, in verse 2, uh, um, the second part of it, following the prince of the power of the air, meaning this, there's this enemy that was leading this course of its age, of the world. And you were a part of that. And you were in step with that, in a way. And you were walking with the enemy. The Greeks believed that the air, when in, in ancient times, they would look up and they would say, the air belonged to evil spirits. That's what the Greeks believed. That up there, all around, were evil spirits. Ancient Hebrews believed that this was the, the air, if you will, is the transition point between heaven and earth. And so there was a lot of spiritual activity in this way. But ultimately... The people Paul is speaking to is this that's the devil's playground, the air, the authority, the dominion, if you will. So he's saying, You were once walking with this enemy, the snake from the garden, the deceiver who tr who tried to uh, convince Jesus to turn stones into bread, right? This enemy. And he's saying, You no longer are with this enemy. And he goes on to say in that verse, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. This is a very strange term, the sons of disobedience. And ultimately, we need to look at this because this, the sons of disobedience, to me, when I read that, I was like, wow, this is an interesting phrase. But the spirit, let's focus on that. The spirit that's now at work, the spirit that is now at work, meaning this prince of the air spirit that's at work. It was interesting because it was thought in ancient times is that God appointed equally to every single person two spirits. There was the spirit of truth. If you look at the shoulder analogy, this is a very popular belief, the spirit of truth, and there was a spirit of deception and injustice, and he gave it equally to everyone. And so there's like this dichotomy here, if you will. And so that this is what drove us in our life. But Paul is not backing that theory here. He's not backing that there's a spirit at work and it's contrary to the other spirit you have. And so you're always fighting that. That's not what Paul's talking about. Paul is saying that there was this spirit that we were caught up in. There was this movement that we were all a part of. And the spirit you now have was born from the death of this other spirit. Out of that death came the life you have now when it was laid down. So when the Bible, when Paul says spirit, 
he's referring to a spirit of like an attitude of the spirit. And so there was this attitude, there was this way, there was this perception of life that was guided in the work of, and we can see it in the work of the sons of disobedience. The sons of disobedience is interesting because when I first read that passage, um, and think as I was studying it, I just thought, that sounds just like a Netflix show, doesn't it? Like a new Netflix show, Sons of Disobedience. I want to watch that. Like, it's a very strong term, right? But really what it is, is it's those who enjoy this whole attitude of this spirit that's really ultimately been a result of the fall. Those who enjoy it and are a part of it, benefit from it, and take it for all it's worth now. It leaves them empty in the end. Ultimately, it's when the Bible talks about us being followers of Christ and Christ being a son of God and we're, we're um, following the prototype of Christ, the sons of disobedience would be following the prototype of the spirit of the air. That's re- really what it means. This deceitful, this disobedience, this injustice, they follow that prototype and they were once a part of it. This other condition that Paul describes in these verses that we were a part of is that um, your desires were the flesh and of the mind. So I'll read this last part and then we'll get into the next section. Uh, and starting in verse 3, among whom we were all once, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind, right? We once lived this limited, right, temporal life. We once were about that, right? And the flesh's desires really ultimately, when he's talking about desire, desire is really appetite. And so he's saying your appetites change. Has your appetite not changed since you become a believer? Your desires, what you want, what you hope for, what you place your hope in and what you strive for. And so he's saying you were once had a desire that was for something uh, other than what God has for you, something that was temporal, something that wasn't actually fulfilling. But believers, their desire changed when they meet when they meet Christ. And I think the flesh's desires become unappealing in light of Christ. You know, do do you ever remember dating, or maybe you're dating now, and you were dating somebody? But then you met somebody and you're like, wow, in light of you, I don't want to date you anymore. Have you ever been there? Right? Or a job where you're like, man, I can't believe I used to work at that other job. I love this job. It's just that way. And I know you felt that way about Soundhouse, right? You know, that's terrible. That's bad. But, you know, you think about it. There is this contrast that Paul is laying here where something becomes, it doesn't, fill us. It doesn't satisfy. It doesn't taste good anymore. You know, I remember, you know, growing up, we I never had hot food. I never had spicy food. Michigan, if you're from there, you know anybody from the Midwest, it's meat and potatoes. We didn't know what we didn't. I, I don't remember ever eating chili peppers, nothing like that. I didn't know there was a Chili's restaurant, but I didn't have spice ever. And I remember when I first moved to California, and I was just like, what are these, like spices? But I tell you what, like, if something doesn't have spice in it now, like, forget about it. I can't just go with salt and pepper anymore. I've got to have serious spice. My appetite has changed. 
And when you become a believer, what used to feel fulfilling changes. It doesn't mean it's irrelevant. And some things like some things are fulfilling in a way. They are relevant. But the things that give deep fulfillment changes. And Paul is pointing this out very strong. It's like this. If you know anybody who is a drug addict, and they, and they see the other side of the, of the drug abuse, and they, and they go, wow, what the contrast, I would never want to go back, right? You can see it with abuse, that someone who's in an abusive relationship out of it can look and go, I would never want to be a part of that again. Or, or I, mean, I mean, in a weird way, a cult. When someone comes out of, like you see these documentaries, they come out of a cult, they're like, I was like, in a way, I can't believe I was a part of that. I was almost brainwashed. And then they step out and they're just like, I can't believe that was the way I was living. And I would say that almost in this way that Paul's talking about is you were almost just feeling probably most relatable like a cult. You were in a way that Christ pulled you out of. And here is the contrast. But ultimately, Paul is doing for us here that should remind us, like he did for the people in Ephesus and the surrounding churches, is that Paul's painting a very dark picture of a person without redemption. It's a great reminder for us to when we see people that we can't just go, well, I'm good, and to remember what it's like in the condition that the world or people are in around us who do not know Jesus. It's a great reminder because we can get comfortable and we can get um, we can country club up a little bit sometimes as Christians we can mostly want to be around those who are like us in belief but Paul is saying don't forget what that was like and he paints a very bleak picture do you remember your picture it's important to remember that the last part of this and this will go pretty fast is this, is that the whole next section is, I can only title it this way, but God. This is a but God moment. This is a contrast moment, and we have but God, and here's what he does. You know, it's, this whole section is about alive in God. This is you, because of God, now living, and you're alive. And you can commune with God, because you are a living spirit, communing with the living God. I was reading this story. It was a crazy story, and it was about these three boys in the Pacific Islands who were going from one island to the next. It was going to be just like a two-day journey. They brought two, um, two days' worth of water with them. They didn't really bring much else but a few snacks. The wind shifted, the current, whatever happened. But these three boys, this is a crazy story. They're, they're gone for 48 hours, and they say that after 48 hours lost at sea, your chances are very low that you're going to live. And they only had two <laughs> days of water with them. And the story goes on, and they look, and they look, and they can't find these boys. And then they start, uh, uh, after 30 days, they start feeling like it's time to give up. They hold a funeral at day 40 for all three boys. And they're from a small island. Half of the island is there to do the funeral for these small boys. They have given up. They're completely gone. And the boys are lost forever. But what was happening is, as these boys were floating out, they ended up going 500 miles at sea away from their destination. They ended up being 50 days lost at sea on this small little boat. And eventually, a fisherman 500 miles away spotted them. And they described the moment that they saw the fisherman. They were in such a place 
that all they were doing was living off of rainwater and they were trying to get birds and eat them raw as they would come to the boat and they had survived 50 days at sea. They got to the point of where there was no more rain and they were starting to drink salt water. And doctors said that they were within a day or even less, maybe a few hours from death. And this fisherman saw them and changed everything. I imagine that this but God moment for us was very much like those boys. We have to remember it was for us. Things were bleak. Things were not good. Things were in a bad place. And whether your life was going fine or not, it doesn't matter. Your spiritual condition was bleak. But there was a but God moment when all seemed lost. God was there. Verse 4, let's just, I'll read this whole section and we'll break it down a little bit. It says this, but God being rich in his mercy, great uh, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ. Verse 7, so that you, so that in the coming ages, he might show his immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ. Verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, but so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. We're going to go through this pretty fast, but we got to talk about what's being said here. If we're going to get a but God moment, we've got to know what really happened here. Verse 4, first part of it, but God being rich in mercy. Here, this is this mercy in this way in Ephesians. It's only stated in Ephesians other than a few different places throughout Scripture. And this is God's covenant language. This is 100% this mercy is God's character in his covenant with his people through Christ, this new covenant. So when you see rich in mercy, this is God's character, just full, full on through Christ, his new covenant. That's what it means. Aristotle used to uh, uh, say this about mercy, and this was very much a worldview, I would say, which mercy is pity for those who don't deserve it. And I would say that, yeah, maybe that is a very common view. But in this way, mercy, it's not like that because none of us did or do deserve it. But yet God shown his great mercy. It's a but God moment. The second part of this verse is because of the great love with which he loved us. The because is the why. Because, that's why. His great love and mercy, right? He explains what his great love is in the next verse. Let's read it. Verse uh, uh, five, it says, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together in Christ by grace you have been saved. And the love he's talking about here is really ultimately Christ. Christ is God's love towards us. Jesus is why we live, right? God was, uh, it was his grace, right? Jesus was ultimately God's love. And I tell you what, grace here especially stated here, it's going to go further, is it intros a mindset for the remaining verses when, you, when, when he breaks into the grace topic. And grace, if you don't know the definition scripturally, it's God's unmerited favor. 
It's given when it wasn't even earned. John 1.16 says this, And for his, as from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. You guys remember that term that was like real popular for a while? It was like um, like uh, stacks on stacks on stacks, right? This was about money. And I remember just being like as an older guy who didn't really like understand that. <laughs> I had to like look it up one day in like Urban Dictionary. And it was like, oh, that just means you have a lot of money. Stacks on stacks on stacks. It, this is what Paul is ultimately saying. Is that there's, there's, this, like, there's this, this unlimited amount. There's this unbelievable amount of grace God has. And so as sheepishly as you want to approach God, that's on you. Because you don't realize how much grace God has, how much love he has. As, as timid as we want to approach God because we feel, feel worthy enough or we have to work harder and more to earn God's unmerited favor, that's on you. Because God has, if you will, stacks on stacks and stacks of grace. Grace upon grace. Uh, let's look at uh, 2, uh, 2, 6, and 7. It says, so he finished out saying this. He says, by grace you were, you were saved and raised us with him, seated with us, uh, seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ. Verse 7, so that in the coming ages he might show his immeasurable riches of his grace, kindness towards us in Christ. This is ultimately, Paul is stating, this is your current, he's stating a current reality and a future reality in this passage. Your current reality is, is that you're seated with Christ in heavenly places. Your future hope and reality is, is that it's in the coming age, right? Again, through grace alone, you're secure. Now, in the coming, present and into the future. Uh, verse 8, it says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's a gift of God, still in the grace theme. Not a result of works so that no one can boast. There, there, this is probably the most difficult concept for, in, in truth of God. It's, it's hard for people who are Christians to embrace this. In our community group, we were talking about it this week, right, Donna? We were talking about this is the difficult part. is because everything, our world system is based on, if I do this, I get this, right? If I don't, if I'm not kind to someone, I lose the relationship right? If I don't work hard enough, I lose the job, right? It's just based on this transaction. We live and we work this way. And, and a lot of times that's not a bad thing. We need to work hard. But when it comes to your security and your faith, when it comes to your confidence, it cannot be based on that. God, this is not how God works. So when he says, if you think you're going to be able to do it in your own ability, and it might make you feel good, you're just all off base in general. That's not how grace works. That's not how it works at all. It's through faith. And faith is hard because you can't measure it. You can't put it on a spreadsheet. You can't, you can't track it. You can't, you, can't, you can't do any of those things. Faith is just a, a continual trusting and believing in God, that God is who he says he is and what he has for you is what is true. I would say if you struggle with the concept of grace, and maybe what Paul's laying out here, that it's not by works, but it's by grace, and it's by faith. 
It's like, I, I was thinking about this one. The best way I could think of it is just like sunshine. We sit here, we soak up the sun. When the sun comes out, and you, you, you will place yourself in it to just soak up everything it's got for you, right? But the fact is, is you don't ever wonder about the sun, whether it's what you're getting from the sun is radioactive. You don't ever doubt that. You don't think, I wonder how radioactive the sun is. You don't think about that. You don't think about, wow, maybe I might be cooked from the inside out by the sun today. You don't think about that. You're just experiencing what it's giving you, this gift, and how it just so gently just warms your skin, warms your body, gives you life and nutrients. And you don't think about the earth's magnetic shield that makes that happen for you. It's why other planets are very difficult to settle on. It's why they don't have atmospheres. It's because they don't have this magnetic shield that we somehow, for some reason, have. And they still don't even know exactly why we have it, for sure. But this shield that protects this earth from the dangerous, deadly rays of this sun, you get to be out here and never, ever think about it. And you never wonder if it's going to be there, do you? It's just there. And all you have to do is just enjoy it. That, if you can think about it, just how you're not thinking about how I got to get out of the sun because I could die. You're not thinking that because it's not happening. And you're not thinking about what's causing that to happen. You're just experiencing it. That is grace. To, to the very best way I can explain it, verse 10, final verse. It says, for we are his workmanship, right? We uh, were created uh, in Christ, now, this is probably my favorite passage out of the whole thing because it's so, it, 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 it's, over, it's read through too quickly sometimes. We are his workmanship, created in Christ for good works, which God has prepared for beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, when we read that verse and it says his workmanship, his is very possessive, meaning that you're God's. And then it says his workmanship. He created you. Part of it is, yes, God did intricately make you. But in this context, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about something different, not your personality. He's talking about something totally different. God's workmanship created in Christ means this. In the lab, if you will, of Christ dying on the cross and you being reborn in this lab, a new creation was born. And so when he says workmanship created in Christ, this, he's talking about the new creature that you're called. He's talking about this new creation and that you're a new kind. You were created. It was his workmanship. It was his craftsmanship that made it happen. For, when he says, for what? That for is the purpose. You were created, crafted, made this new creature for a purpose, and the purpose is this, is that it's for God's good works. Presently and now. You will not need these good works to practice them, I don't think, in heaven. Presently and now. And so when he says, man, you, this this explosion of life that happened when you became a believer, this death to life 
this new creation. You're a new kind under God's workmanship. His brilliance, if you will. It was created for a purpose, though, for good works. For now, presently, to do on this earth. And so, you know, Paul's going to get into a lot of that. What does it mean, good works? What does it mean? This isn't good works to earn your salvation. It's done. He's talking about the purpose of your creation. And what does it mean? We'll get into a lot of that in the future verses. But when he says prepared beforehand, ultimately what this means is this isn't about predestination. This is about a predetermined behavior that God has for his people. This is not about predestination. When you were, when this is prepared beforehand, meaning this is that I almost feel like it goes back to Genesis 1 and 2. There was a purpose and a plan for God's creation for human, humankind, and things went awry. But in God's creation, he has a purpose and a plan that he stated because he does not change. He's the same today, yesterday, and forever. And so these are the ways that he intended for his people to be. And that is what Christ modeled and displayed as our example for God's new creation and new kind. And then eventually, the last verse is this, is then you walk in them, right? The last part, and that you walk in them. And that's what Paul's going to talk about. How do we walk in that? And these good works happen based out of our new creation. It's, 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 it's a counterintuitive direction. You know what I'm talking about? Is anybody here really good with directions? <laughs> really? Oh, this is concerning. Um, <laughs> hey, I'm just I'm not going to lie. I'm good with directions. I can at least know where to go. Like, I have a general idea. It's one of the few things I can do well is that I, I probably can find my way around somewhere. If I drive somewhere once, I can figure it out real fast. I can, you know, it, months later. It's this one thing I have is a sense of direction. And I tell you what, like the fact is, is that there is a sense that we, it, it, we feel like it's the right way to go. And even in my head, I might be going, this is the right way to go. But God's saying, this is not, this is the way to go. And I'm going to have to trust that. As, as sure as I am, I'm going to have to trust it and go the direction God is leading me to go. If you want the scripture in Ephesians, is ultimately going to be your Waze app, your Google map to your uh, own way of knowing how to get somewhere. It is going to be the correct course for you to go that is sure. And this is what Ephesians is going to be for us in our Christian living, right? It's God's original intention for living th and ultimately through Christ. Christ, the second Adam, our example, not the old way, but this new creation. And so if you guys wouldn't mind maybe standing with me, if you could, in, in prayer. Let's, uh, let's just bow our heads, stand, and just take a moment as we just ha have this great gift of communing and connecting with God, that living beings get to do New creations get to do. This is such a privilege to commune with God. But, you know, we began this passage with walking. But we were walking in a different direction. Temporal things, walking with the enemy, unsatisfying desires. And then we all have to remember our but God moment. And 
And I would like to, for you just to be there in that moment of the moment that you had that. I was in a way, but God, right? It's his grace, it's his power, it's his creation, creation creating ability, the mechanism of Christ, right? That but God moment that changed your life. But I love it because Paul starts the, the section with walking and then he ends the section with walking in a different direction under a new reality. And I want to encourage each one of us as a, a, a members of Soundhouse Church. I don't need, if you if you don't consider yourself part of our home, it doesn't matter. If you're a believer, I'm just going to say that. Listen, <laughs> the the direction God wants to lead you, it will be in the opposite direction of where you were going, and we can't forget that. It will not be intuitive. It will feel counterintuitive until it becomes intuitive. But it's a thing that we will have to continually practice, taking those steps of faith. And some of it's going to be some practical living Paul's going to get into, and some of it we're just going to have to feel it from the Spirit. But I want to encourage you to just take your bold steps and walk in the direction God's leading you to. It may not feel normal. It may not feel comfortable. But it will be right. God has a plan for this world and a purpose, and that's for you to do good works in this, in this world while you're here. Because your future reality is already secure, but we shouldn't get complacent because of that. He has a plan for us. And thankfully, uh, Ephesians is a book that was written that we get to, to, to really grow and learn from. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you as your people, as followers of Christ, who was our example. God, help us walk the way Christ did, talk the way, really, ultimately Christ did, trust and love our Father the way Christ did. God, I thank you that you have rescued us. Help us, help us continually fight being comfortable in our faith. God, help us continually fight being complacent or remembering the old ways. But God, help us continually keep that purpose in front of us, which is you made us for a reason. You created us, this workmanship, God, new kind of new creation for a purpose, and that's to do good works. So God, help us do that. We love you. We thank you. Thank you for this church. Thank you that we can meet in this beautiful park, God. I thank you that we are um, able just to connect, not just um, with each other, but God, with you. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, thank you so much for joining us today. We hope that you enjoy the rest of the day. Feel free to hang out, say hi to people, and we will see you next week, even though it's the Super Bowl. I just a prediction for you. Tom Brady's going to win. There's no bucket.